All right, let's just start from the beginning. Um, we've got about 35 minutes. That'll be plenty of time. Any questions, though, from last week before we get, we get clipping along here? Any questions? What was the parable last week? What was the parable? Pharisee and the publican, that's right. That's Yeah, that's right. Pharisee is more religious, publican is less religious. Just be as religious as Jesus and you'll just be fine. All right, um, let's start right here from the beginning then. You know, we've kind of been going back and forth between justice and mercy. Um, and you see this, you see these two themes sort of playing themselves out in all of Scripture. Um, but I think it's helpful for us to remember that while Jesus is a justice man, let me get the door here, his first word is always a word of mercy. So you see there the distinction. Let's just recall this and then we'll sort of move forward. Justice, you know, is utterly fair, utterly impartial, utterly objective. Mercy is unfair, partial, and subjective. But the key to mercy is that mercy actually sticks. And we talked about this. Uh, some of you have been brave enough to sort of call or email and ask questions, so thanks for that. Um, but you need to remember that the Lord is both justice and mercy, but his first word, his default, is always a word of mercy. It's always to give you something that you don't deserve. Okay, does that make sense? If he gives you something you don't deserve, then it's utterly subjective. It's not about you, it's about him, and he sort of moves you to a place that you shouldn't be. You're down here, you know, this is the Magnificat of Mary. Those of low degree he has raised up, right? But the mighty he has struck down from their thrones. So that's, that's mercy and justice playing itself out in one song of Mary. But let's consider this too. This is the second point there, and I think this is an important distinction to remember. Justice, and listen, and I want you to just think about this. Justice can work by itself. Okay? Justice can work by itself. So making wrongs right requires no merciful gift. If you murder someone, you're going to prison. There's no mercy in that. Right? There's now a trial in New York. You know, the, the, it's funny to listen to how people sort of define justice on, the, uh, on all the news reports and sort of how people want justice in their own image. But justice in and of itself can work by itself. It doesn't require any mercy. If you kill, you will go to prison. Okay? But mercy, mercy can only work with justice. So every merciful gift, this is very important, every merciful gift somehow makes wrongs right. Because that's justice. Every merciful gift somehow makes wrongs right. So take, you know, the housing project in New York, uh, the Nehemiah project. If you, give a, if you give a poor person who can't afford a house a house, suddenly, when they were nobodies, now they're somebodies. You've been merciful. You give them what they can't afford. And in showing them mercy, there's justice because now they're not a nobody, but they're actually a real part of society. That makes sense? Please tell me if it doesn't make sense. Makes sense. Thank you very much. It's like the joy group. Everybody, everybody tracking? Yeah, everybody's tracking. Okay. So justice can be merciless, but mercy can never be unjust. Justice can be merciless. You kill, you go to prison. But mercy can never be unjust. When the Lord gives you a gift you don't deserve, he squares the game up. Okay? All right. So then, you have to remember that Jesus' first word is always a word of mercy. 
But in showing mercy, he's always trying to square the game up. He's always trying to make you who you aren't supposed to be. He's always trying to make you someone when really in the world you're a nobody. Look at Mark chapter 4. The parable of the sower. Now you've probably heard this, you know, 50 or 100 times. But let's sort of work our way through the parable of the sower and see if we can identify both justice and mercy. And ultimately how his default, even in this parable, is that of mercy. Let me read it for you one time and then we'll sort of work through it verse by verse. Mark chapter 4, 1 to 20. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Okay? So, first section here. Let's just walk through this. He began to teach beside the sea. You remember that... um, He sits down in the boat, and the one mark of a good rabbi is the rabbi sits and everyone else stands, right? So when the rabbi teaches, the rabbi sits. That's why if you ever watch a a service from the Vatican, how does the pope preach? Does he stand or sit? He sits, right? He always sits in his chair. Now, nobody else stands, but maybe they should. So he sits, everybody else stands. And some of Jesus' best words, some of his most important teaching, occurs right beside the sea. So just sort of think about this. Jesus, near water, and speaking. There's got to be a baptismal connection there. All right? I don't know what it is, but there's got to be one. That's just all set up for this parable that's to come. He's by the water. He's in the boat. Everyone else stands, and what does he do? He begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. He begins to teach them what it means to be a Christian in the world. Verse 2, And as he was teaching them many things in parables... 
And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. This is page two of your outline. But I want you to notice the inefficiency of the sowing. How many of you have ever planted seeds? Not grass seed, but, you know, real seed, yeah. Now, when you plant seed, how do you usually plant seed if you're out on a farm? Dennis? What's that? Only, yeah, only sow seed in the good soil. And if you're, have you ever seen, um, like, well, this wouldn't be seed, but if you're planting, like, tulips, what do you do? You dig up a little hole, you drop one in. You move down in line, dig up a little hole, drop one in. Move down in the line, dig up a hole, drop one in. It's very calculated. You take your time. You make sure the rows are straight. How does this sower sow his seed? Just throws it. He just throws it. There's utter inefficiency. Okay? And that's very important to the parable of the sower. He's utterly inefficient. He knows that some of it's not going to live. He knows that some of it will be devoured. He even walks by, like I do with my fertilizer, right by the uh, sidewalk, and it gets all over. I've wasted $3 there. But I don't care because I don't have enough time to sort of slow down and, you know, narrow the, the spray and all that good stuff. He just throws it. And he doesn't care where it lands. He's utterly inefficient. And what's he going to do next year? He's going to go out, check for some more good soil, and throw it again. Seed goes everywhere. All right? This is just set up for the point. Verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. So it looks like it's about to grow. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away springing up quickly. You know, this is, this is the point. Perception is not reality. Springing up quickly, it looks like it's going to flourish. But what is it missing? It's missing the, the foundation, the root. It's missing the staying power. Or as the Gospel said today, what does Jesus say at the end of the Gospel reading? He who endures will be saved. Okay? It's missing endurance. It can't carry on forever. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So what's the distinctive difference now between dead seed and living seed? Yes? No life? What else? Multiplies? Yeah? If, if a seed is alive, it grows, it bears fruit, it produces, it yields. If a seed is dead, while it may spring up, it doesn't yield anything. So the difference between seed that lives and seed that dies is producing, yielding, growing, and flourishing. That is very important. This is the key to the text. Inefficiency, and then what marks a living seed from a dead seed? It's all about yielding. Okay? It's all about producing. Not about just looking like a seed or looking like its growth. It's all about actually bearing fruit. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain. Now listen to how he describes it. Growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is the seed that flourishes. But remember, and I think this is important, 
the extent to which the seed flourishes is not determined by the sower. The sower just throws the seed. What determines whether or not that seed will flourish? Yeah, what is the ground like? Is it good soil or is it bad soil? Yes, it's good soil. So all the sower does is he goes out and he throws his seed and he hopes that some of it takes. What determines whether or not it grows is the soil. Okay? It's determined by where the seed lives and moves and has its existence. All the sower does is do his work. He tosses out the seed. The soil then decides, will they have the seed or not? Very important. Will they have the seed or not? Look at your next page. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12, so there are more than 12 people there, it's his apostles plus whoever else stuck around, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, what do you remember from the Gospels? What is the kingdom of God? Do you remember? Is it a place or a person? Speak up. Yes, it's a person. The kingdom of God is not a place, primarily. It is a location, but it's not some place you're hoping to go someday. It's not like our sort of Americanized concept of heaven. I hope to get in the kingdom someday. The kingdom of God is a location, but it's primarily a person. Okay? How do you get into the kingdom of God? Right here. Right? But St. Paul says you've been baptized into Christ. So Jesus is the kingdom of God. That's why when you pray at the, at the uh, Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, it's proper to pray that right before the Eucharist. The kingdom is actually about to come down to earth. So the kingdom of God is a person. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Are you in the community or out of the community? If you're in, you have the secret. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus gives you, and he gives the apostles, and he gives those listening in, he gives you right here the key to the parable. The key to the parable is listening. Is hearing. The secret of the kingdom is Christ himself. And you notice here, I thought this was fascinating, you notice here that misperceptions and misunderstandings need to be repented of and forgiven. I mean, Jesus calls a spade a spade. If you've misperceived or misunderstood, he says that that's a sin. Basically, what he's saying to his apostles is, I'm out speaking my word. I'm going to speak this in parables. I know they're still not going to get it. And the only way they're going to get it is if they repent and be forgiven. To misperceive or to misunderstand is actually to be caught up in sin. That's what's going on with people who are outside the community of Jesus. They don't get it, and they've got all these misunderstandings and misperceptions. 
And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Verse 13, how then will you understand all the parables? It must mean this one is fairly simple. The sower sows the word. Okay, so here's your confirmation, eighth grade confirmation question. Who's the sower? Yes, first and foremost, it's Jesus. Keep going. Who is the sower? Say that again. Uh, maybe. Maybe in the third place, not in the second place. Who's? Say that again. Holy Spirit, good. So the Lord is the sower. We'll just kind of wrap the Holy Spirit up in the Lord, okay? So the Lord is the primary sower. Every parable is first about Jesus, and so is every story in the Gospels. You remember, all of Scripture especially the Old Testament, is but one long introduction to the Gospels. And all of the epistles after the Gospels are just commentary on the Gospels. The stories in Scripture that matter, first and foremost, are the Gospels. Okay? So this parable is all about Jesus. He is the sower in the first place. You're the sower maybe in the third place. Maybe. We've got to work through that a little bit. Who is the sower in the second place? Yes, the church, and primarily... Come on now. Say it again. Yes, pastors. Okay? And I give you here Martin Franzman, who used to teach at the St. Louis Seminary, his great hymn, which is sung at every ordination, almost every ordination. I don't think we sang it at mine, but most other ordinations. Just listen to, the, listen to this hymn. It's based on this text. And just think about who is the hymn writer talking about. Preach you the word implanted home to men who like or like it not. The word that shall endure and stand when flowers and men shall be forgot. Though some be snatched and some be scorched and some be choked and matted flat, the sower sows, his heart cries out, Oh, what of that? Oh, what of that? The inefficiency of the sowing. Preach you the word and plant at home and never faint. The harvest Lord, who gave the sower seed to sow, will watch and tend his planted word. First and foremost, the sower is Christ. But you remember, Christ puts people into the ministry to sow seed on his behalf. Okay, so pastors then go out and sow seed. And what's the soil? Yeah, the soil is the community. The soil is the community. So the question of the parable is, will the seed that is sown actually take? Will the seed that is sown actually take? and not just fall on rocky ground or on a path or be choked by the thorns, will it actually grow roots, spring up, flourish, and the most important part of the text, will it actually bear fruit? Yes? Question is, uh, go ahead, someone else. Someone else say something? His question was, I said the community. His first thought was its hearts. Um, I suppose it could be, but the Lord is a bit more corporate than hearts. The Lord usually deals in sort of communal aspects. At the end of the day, he does redeem you, but he doesn't redeem you to sort of stand alone. Okay, so at the end of the day, it's not primarily about you or your faith or your heart. Primarily it's about bringing you, your faith, and your heart into something bigger, some community. 
And in some sense, here's, here's the real honest thing, in some sense, the, uh, the soil is the world, right? In some sense, the soil is the world. Uh, but you can sort of narrow from the world down to the church, and then from the church down to individuals who comprise the church. But ultimately, the church is not defined by a big toe or a thumb, it's defined by the body, okay? All right, anything else? Yes. Okay, so good. The question is, if the pastor's preaching the word, is the word the seed? Yes. Or the seed is the word, as Jesus will say here in just a second. Okay? And you remember, what? Yes, go ahead, Dennis. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's saying. Uh, the, the comment is it sort of sounds like Jesus is sort of twisting the story so the people outside don't quite get it. And I don't think that's the case. And let's just use the biblical evidence for it. Even when the disciples see things kind of literally, they don't believe it. So people come back and they say, we've seen Jesus risen from the dead. We touched him. That's not a parable. It's, it's the truth. It's literal. And they still say, we don't get it. So here's what you have to first realize. Even though the disciples are on the inside of the community, because they're seminary students, they don't fully get it either. In a very real way, there's no distinction between the apostles and the world as far as getting it goes. So I don't think he's necessarily saying here, I'm going to speak in parables because if I speak literally, they're going to sort of understand it and come to faith. Because that's never how Jesus works in the rest of Scripture. So even if it sort of sounds that way, that wouldn't, be in, that wouldn't fall in line with his character and who he is. I think what he's saying is, I've spoken literally, they don't get it. I've spoken now figuratively, they won't get it. The only way they're going to get it is if they repent from their misperceptions and misunderstandings and sort of follow me. I don't think this is a setup to sort of nuke somebody. Because that's not who he is. It's not who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, great. That's a good Luther quote from the, the third, uh, the meaning to the third article where Luther says uh, in the catechism, I believe that I cannot believe. Right? I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but someone else has called me by the gospel. Okay? Ultimately, what you have to see here is the inefficiency of the sowing. He wants every seed to take. He realizes they won't, and the only way they will is by the action of the Holy Spirit. You all okay? All right. So then, uh, the sower is first and foremost Christ, then it's the pastor, and, and then I suppose, as, as priests, you know, that is your task as well. But oftentimes, your sowing of the seed, I would at least propose to you, doesn't come in words. You sow the seed by how you live, by action. Who was it? Was it Aquinas? No, it wasn't Aquinas. St. Francis who said, you know, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We sort of, you know, that becomes sort of a cliche for the church, but it really is true for the priesthood of all believers. Your witness to the world takes place not first and foremost by speaking, but first and foremost by living. 
And that may have been very different 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. But people today are not, people today are much like these people who are outside the community of the apostles. They misperceive and they misunderstand. They're not rational. So you have to show them what the Christian life looks like. That's your sowing of the seed. Okay? But it always goes Jesus, pastor, people. That's the, that's the setup of the church within the scriptures, particularly within the Gospels. Page four. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. So the seed is the word. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You remember that in the scriptures, when Solomon prays for a heart, he prays for a hearing heart, a listening heart. This is very important because in the scriptures, those people who don't quite get it are said to have what? Hard heart. <laughs> a hard heart is a heart that doesn't hear. A soft heart, we pray this for this in the church, soften the hearts of people. A soft heart is one that listens. But Satan is always on the prowl to make our hearts deaf. And the sign that this has occurred, this is from Irenaeus, the sign that this has occurred is not actively bringing forth fruits of righteousness. And I don't want you to go off and look at other people, but just look at your own life in the mirror. One of the ways the law acts is as a mirror. Look in the mirror and say, am I bearing fruit that befits the Christian life? Because if I'm not, it doesn't mean the word's not being sown. It's not on the sower. If I'm not, it might be the community or it might be me. And Irenaeus, you know, just to, to sort of validate his position, Irenaeus was um, you know, a student of Polycarp, and Polycarp knew John the Evangelist. So you sort of have one, a one-generation gap between Irenaeus and the Evangelist. This isn't from the 16th or 17th century. He's not making this stuff up. And these are the ones, verse 16, sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. So they sort of carry on. They live for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So what he's talking about here, there are, sort of, there are sort of different classifications of hearing. Those that fall on the path, those that fall on rocky ground, those that fall among the thorns, and those that fall in good soil. And, and you sort of progress to more spiritual maturity along the way. But you've seen this, yes? You've seen folks who, uh, and oftentimes it's sad, but it's sort of new members. You see folks who are so excited about the Christian life. Uh, and they're excited to do anything the church asks them to do. And they're excited to say their prayers, and they're excited to come to church, and they're excited to bring their kids up in the way that children should go. And what happens? So, yes. I just want to say for the record, that was Fred Gady. <laughs> yeah, what happens? A six-hour meeting, right? Yeah, something happens, uh, and these people who have flourished... And again, part of it is the perception. Remember, perception is not reality. The perception is people are sort of flourishing. What happens? Something in their life happens. Their marriage gets bollocked up. They lose their job. The church gets bollocked up. Someone looks at them crossways. Someone speaks an ill word. And suddenly they are gone. Suddenly they're gone. Because the mark of spiritual maturity is endurance. This is the gospel for today. 
That's the mark of spiritual maturity. If you're mature, you endure. Okay? Because endurance is a gift from God that comes by way of faith. So some, you see on your outline, receive all the words got with joy. And by that I mean everything the Lord has to say in his word. Even the tough stuff. Even the spiritual disciplines. Even praying and giving and fasting. Even all those things, they receive it with joy. They come along and they have some fun. Yet, and this is really the sad part, when the going gets tough, when tribulation or persecution arise on account of what the word says, remember that's what Jesus says, when persecution or tribulation arise on account of the word, they're gone. Yes, Karen. And what should our response be um, if we find ourselves connected with someone who is beyond maturity? You bring them to the place where the seed is sown again. If they won't come to the place where the seed is sown, then you move down to the third point on the chart, and you go out and sow the seed yourself. And sowing the seed yourself might take on a different form than it does at the second point in the church. And this is the very last point of the outline. We'll get to this in just a second. The Lord never gives up. Okay, that's the last point. Again, next season, the Lord's going to go out and sow some more seed. Okay? Now, he might move to a different patch because the last patch didn't work out so well, or he might decide to sow some again where he tried it last time. And every year he prays that that seed will take. So the short answer is, we don't give up. The long answer is, go out and sow the seed yourself if they're not willing to come to the place where the seed can be sown. Okay? That makes sense? Well, the how is... Uh, <laughs> Well, use first Christ as your example. Okay? So in the, in the sermon for today, what you heard was faith is action. This is the point to Val's, this is to Val's comment over here. Faith is action. So how do you sow the seed actively? I think I said in the sermon, you know, you pray, you house, you clothe, you gift, you gospel, you do all those sorts of things. You live the life that Christ has called you to live, and in so living, Karen you actually are sowing the seed. There's not a set formula for this. It's not like if you just say these correct words, somehow you're going to sow the seed again and maybe it'll take. Okay? Because people, this is, this is the point, mercy is always subjective. It works differently for different people. So the way that you deliver mercy, the way that you sow the seed to some people will be different than the way I sow the seed to some people. So I can't give you sort of a, a formula for that, but I can give you a rubric, which is, Look to Jesus. Whatever Jesus does, that's the life you should live, and in living that life, you're sowing the seed. Keep going. I know you got something else. Yes, don't ever give up hope. A hardened heart is different than a slightly hardened heart. There are different levels of, of hardness of heart. Uh, some people, all you can do is pray. Right? Beg the Lord that he softens hearts. And then you sort of move in to sow the seed. Some people are ready to receive the seed a bit more than others, and then, then you've got to be ready to deliver. If a person has truly a hardened heart, 
then your fervent prayer should be that the Lord softens it and allows that heart to listen. And in listening then, you can go in and sow the seed. But nothing good works by force, so you wouldn't want to go in and sort of force someone to listen or force someone to receive the seed. Okay? Jesus doesn't go back to the seed and sort of yell, or to the ground and sort of yell at it and say, by God, I'm the sower and you should be growing. <laughs> if it doesn't grow, he waits till next year. Sometimes time is the healer of wounds and the softener of hearts. Okay? Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, I hope that behind this you see that the presumption is you always do what Christ does. You love, you cherish, and you never give up. And you pray fervently. Okay? So, yeah, there's never a place in Scripture where the Lord says to stop loving someone. Because that's not who he is in his own existence. That's not his character. Just do what Christ does. Okay? You okay, Karen? You're welcome. Okay, rocky ground. This great sadness is when, is when the seed actually sort of dies, or as Jesus says, the seed falls away. Because falling away means the community is broken. And community broken, you remember, was the primary sin of the prodigal son. He went to a distant country. And community broken is a sign that we're still outside of Eden. The sin of Adam and Eve is not that they ate the fruit. The sin of Adam and Eve is that they broke community. They broke relationships. So when community is broken, you sort of move yourself back to post-fall. We're looking, we're looking to get back to before the fall, where community is restored. So part of your going out and your sowing your seed is to restore the community once again. Let's keep going. We only have a little time left. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. This is first commandment idol talk. I mean, this is all the same stuff that we talked about with AOR. Other things become more important than listening. Okay? So some have no chance. It's on the path. Some have a chance, but they fall away. They're in the rocky soil. Some have all the chance in the world, but other things get in the way. And the way of an idol is to deafen, to choke, and eventually to kill. Okay, that's what idols do. Idols kill their worshipers. But those who are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Now listen to what it says here. Hear and accept and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The mark of being good soil, then, is to hear, receive, and bear fruit. It is an unbroken, and I want you to just listen to this, an unbroken organic process. This is an unbroken organic process. This is spiritual growth. And anything else, anything less, is an interruption. Anything less is an interruption or an aberration. Anything less. It's an organic process where the Lord molds you and shapes you and grows you and pushes you to bearing good fruit. Or as we talked about last year, it's incorporation and participation. It's justification and sanctification. It's being forgiven and living forgiven. The problem with all the seeds before the seed that falls on the good soil is they didn't live like seeds. They didn't live like seeds. To just say... The Lord has planted his seed in this soil is not enough. The Lord plants his seed so that his seed will bear fruit. 
So the Christian life then looks something like this. Hearing, accepting, maturing, growing, waiting, suffering, doing, living, thanking, partaking, and then hearing, accepting, and maturing some more. Or as St. Augustine has said, this is brilliant. When God is the sower and we are the ground, we are called to work to be good ground. So the justice in all of this is where? The justice is, if the seed doesn't produce, it dies. If the seed doesn't produce, it dies. Just being seed is not enough. But the mercy, and I think this is the key to the parable, the mercy is in the inefficiency of the sowing. He just keeps tossing his seed out. And he only hopes, and he prays, and we pray every week for this in the prayer of the church, we pray that his seed will take. And remember, and this gets to Karen's point, every season is a fresh start. If you didn't get it last time around, he'll be back to sow some more next year. He doesn't give up on people. Okay? So we should work, two things, we should work to be good soil, as St. Augustine has, says, has said. We should work to grow and mature and bear fruit, and at the same time, don't give up on folks who may have fallen on rocky ground, among the thorns, or on the path. The Lord is always out to toss his seed. Make sense? This is utter mercy. At the end of the day, he wants everyone back, and he wants everyone to bear good fruit. Okay, any questions? Yes, James. Yeah. Remember what Jesus says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times, 70 times? That's inefficiency to forgiveness. Yeah, it's like, what's more merciful, to give someone a fish or to teach them to fish? And that's something the church has to sort through. Because mercy that sort of has an end point, or that doesn't follow through, isn't really mercy. Now, I think the, the housing project is a different deal because they have things set up so it doesn't happen. But you are right. If they say, here's a house now, we hope you can pay for it. Well, I mean, I'll, let me give you an example. Um, what's that show that's on ABC on Sunday nights where they build homes for people? What's that called? Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Now, I've heard, and I can't, I don't know this for certain, I've heard that they give you this new home, but you still have to pay off the mortgage. Do they really? Uh, sometimes. Okay, good. But if they don't, if they do, that's mercy. If they don't, if they say, here's a, here's a home that's not, your old home was worth 100000 this one's worth $2 million. have fun paying it off. Yeah, yeah, and the taxes, that's not mercy. Right? You're actually putting someone in a poorer position than they were before. So mercy is not just sort of um, sloppy. It, inefficiency is not sloppy. The Lord's got a plan in his sowing of the seed, and he's got a plan in mercy. But we have to be bright folks about this and say, how best can we be merciful? Yes, Don. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And what's the great, you know, what's the great story of springtime in the church? The resurrection. Right? The resurrection is proof that the Lord never gives up on people. That he keeps sowing seeds. Okay? Anything else? Yes. Yep. That's exactly right. What's the climate like? What's the weather like? Is there enough water? Is there enough? Are you feeding it? Are you too much water? Yeah, exactly. And you can sort of see how these things play themselves out in the context of the church. Is there too much flowing one way or another? Are people, I mean, that's just, that's just normal life together. But you are right. You don't account for those things when you read the text. You've got to take all those things into account before you sort of move forward uh, in a merciful manner. All right. All right, let's pray, and we'll come back next time. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming.